0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with AMAX.
1: Hey, it's Wilfred L. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind.
0: You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter.
1: And the Cheetah Girls movies.
0: Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies
1: happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and every
3: This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder.
2: All doctors to the ER.
1: It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. Mannix. All right, welcome back. Si Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got a huge boxing weekend ahead of us. You've got Jaime Munguia back in action. You've got Alexander Usyk against Derek Chisora. You've got Gervonta Davis against Leo Santa Cruz. A lot of things to talk about. No better time to check in with Keith Ideck, the senior writer over at BoxingScene.com. Keith is in San Antonio for the Gervonta Davis-Leo Santa Cruz fight. I will be on the broadcast for Jaime Munguia versus Toriano Johnson. You can catch that on the zone. We go through all the big action coming up this weekend. A little bit later on, Derek Chisora, the heavyweight contender, he is trying to stand in the way of Alexander Usyk's world title shot. I talked to Chisora about how he defeats a fighter with the skill level of Usyk and how he feels about retirement, potentially walking away. Chisora's 36 years old. Does he see this Usyk fight? as his last chance. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Keith Ideck. All right, Keith Ideck is back, senior writer, boxingscene.com. He is currently coming to us from San Antonio where he's in quarantine Getting ready for the Gervonta Davis Leo Santa Cruz fight, which you can see on Saturday on Showtime pay per view. Keith, back on the road again, man. How's it feel?
3: Oh, uh, joyous, you know. <laughs> so it's <laughs> I'm in quarantine, and uh, you know we're well, we're three days away from the fight, so we're getting there. Um, they had the undercard press conference just a little while ago. The main press conference is tomorrow. Um, yeah, so uh, so here we are. We're all confined to the hotel, but these are abnormal times for all of us. So no one wants to hear me or anyone else complaining. So you know,
1: no, definitely not. But uh, I do want to get into the Gervonta Davis uh, Leo fight. I want to talk about Alexander Usyk and Derek Chisora, which is a big fight on Saturday afternoon as well. Jaime Munguia back uh, this weekend in a middleweight fight of his own. But I want to start, Keith, with uh, the breaking news this week, and that is DeZone announcing that it was going global. This is something that was expected. It was intended to happen back in May before the pandemic changed everything. Now it's going to happen in December with the Ryan Garcia-Luke Campbell fight uh, being the first of the new global service. Uh, What this means for uh, global fans is that DAZN will be available in 200 or so countries, uh, including the UK, where it'll be available for like, you know, $2.50, the equivalent of In the U.S., what it means in the U.S. is that we're probably going to get a lot more DAZN USA fights that start at an earlier hour. Uh, The Ryan Garcia Luke Campbell fight is going to start at seven o'clock Eastern time to take advantage of a UK market that would put that fight start time right around midnight. Uh, over Mm -hmm. there. So I guess, Keith, give me your, uh, we we knew this was coming. As I said at the top, it was, it was uh, always in the plans, but give me your kind of takeaways for, you know, what this means, how, what it means you think it means for the U S market, uh, and how you think it's going to go.
3: You know, in the short term, as it relates to the Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell fight, Chris, I think it's great that that fight will start at approximately 7.00 PM Eastern time, 4.00 PM Pacific, because it, While the biggest thing is that it's accommodating British boxing fans who always get the short end of it when fights come from America, you know, because they have to stay up until four or five o'clock in the morning to watch these fights. So they're at least being accommodated in some way. I mean, midnight is not early, obviously, but, um, but they can watch their, you know, Luke Campbell, who's a British fighter at a reasonable hour in that fight. Uh, so that, that's a good thing obviously. Um, and, and that's a good fight, you know, that this clearly a step up for Ryan Garcia, um, toughest fight of his career so far that he's more than willing to take. So, um, so you're getting value there for sure. Um, you know, then you have the Joshua fight the following week, which in the UK is a sky sports box office, fight, Not a, his own fight, but you're starting to get some, some uh, well, the Garcia Campbell fight is a better fight. I don't, you know, Joshua taking care of a mandatory, so it is what it is, you know, but um, it's good that this global expansion has moved forward because it was supposed to happen as you alluded to earlier, Chris, back in May when Canelo was supposed to fight Billy Joe Saunders and it got delayed due to the pandemic, which has happened to countless people in various businesses. But um, it's a good thing. I mean, it's evidence that the zone is moving forward with its plan. You know, there's been some speculation that they were not in the best financial position, had some layoffs across the board. Um, But so I think it's a positive step for the zone to take. I think it's good that the the uh, monthly subscription fee is lower, but I think you'll want to hear from American sports fans that they want their subscription fee to be lower. Now, if you, if you buy it for an entire year, it's not overly expensive. It's $8 and 33 cents per month, but you want something for your $8 and 33 cents per month. And that's something I think people will want more than Devin Haney against Yuri Orcas Gamboa, Daniel Jacobs against uh, Gabe Rosado. They're going to want better fights than that if they're going to keep subscribing and paying that yearly fee. And and I don't know why you would pay $20 per month. I guess you can cancel. And, you know, if there's one fight that you want to watch, you can get it for 20 bucks, essentially paying the price of a UK pay per view, and then don't have it for. I don't think most boxing fans do that. If you're a real boxing fan, you're going to watch Devin Haney fight Yuri Eckersgambo, and then you're going to go on Boxing Scene or Twitter or wherever else and (laughs) shit all over it. But that's the nature of boxing fans, right? So. Um, but I don't, yeah, so I guess, you know, the short answer, Chris, is that it's good for Dazone's business model to move forward um, with a reasonably priced subscription fee. And, there, you know, a lot of the countries and territories that they're going to are impoverished places. So you can't ask $20 US per month for, for a subscription. But um, so, yeah, it's good to see that it, they move forward with it. Hopefully, we're going to get some better fights in 2021.
1: And look, the bottom line for U.S. boxing fans when it comes to timing is that uh, I would argue uh, a majority of their fights moving forward, you know, outside of perhaps the biggest ones that would do the biggest numbers in the U.S. will probably be earlier in the day to take advantage Mm -hmm. of those uh, European markets. And look, Keith, if this was an ESPN or a broadcast network, you'd say it wouldn't work because, Look, ratings are higher at night. They just are. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. But I, I do think it's an interesting experiment to do as a subscription service, whether it is a DAZN or an ESPN Plus or any of these outlets out there that are, you know, vying for subscription money. You know, if you're DAZN, you've got to feel pretty confident that if you put on good fights, you'll get boxing fans subscribe. To your earlier point, yeah. like if you have if you have a steady diet of you know, quality matchups. And I agree with you. I think Garcia Campbell, I'm much more interested in that than Pulev versus Joshua. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you put on a steady diet of those types of fights, you're going to get the boxing fans in for, you know, more than just the one month. You'll have them for multiple months or the full yeah. year, which is what they're ultimately after. And, and that can be a pretty sizable number, Keith. Like, they're not after the three million viewers that Teofimo Lopez did against Vasily Lomachenko. They're after, like, the 500,000 or the 750,000 audience to get them to subscribe. So I think that's mm-hmm. there's the potential here. Look, ultimately, it always boils down to what are you putting out there. If you put out a steady diet of Haney, Gamboa, Jacobs, Rosado, you're just not going to get the kind of subscription base that that you uh, that you want. But if you put out a, a pretty solid schedule in the first half of 2020, uh, 2021, boxing fans will come. It's like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. If you, if you put together something worth them giving their money to, we, you and I both know boxing fans are conditioned to pay money for stuff. And if you're Mm -hmm. giving them something at a decent price, uh, they will sign up by the hundreds of thousands.
3: Yeah. And I think the Lomachenko Lopez fight was the best evidence, even though it's not, it was, you know, you do have to pay around $8 per month for ESPN as part of your uh, cable or satellite package. But that was a fight where people were telling me, Chris, that you know, going into it, pe- educated people who know more about boxing viewership than me or you or you know, even, even though we try to educate ourselves on it. These are people who've done this for a living or do this for a living that were telling me that they thought that that fight would do 1.2 million viewers. And I said, man, if that's the best, I understand sports viewership on television is down overall. But I said, if Lomachenko Lopez can only do 1.2 or 1.3 million viewers we might as well fold up the tent because if you're putting that fight on ESPN, a fight that good and that meaningful and that few people watch it, we have a serious, serious problem. And it turned out that nearly 3 million people watched it on ESPN, probably closer to 4 million when you total ESPN plus ESPN Deportes and all of the platforms. So that was a really good night for boxing. And to your point, if you, if you put on good fights and in that case, it was a, it was, the fight itself wasn't a great fight. But the matchup was a great fight, and it was such a meaningful fight that people came to the television or computer or whatever in droves to watch that fight. And related, Chris, what you mentioned earlier about, you know, U.S. fans will have to become conditioned to watch fights a little earlier. Well, look, all I heard the night of the Lomachenko-Lopez fight was from East Coast fans in particular. This is too late. This is bullshit. This should be starting earlier. Well, if, is seven o'clock too early? Well, what do you want? What's your sweet spot? Is it too late? It's too early? For God's sake, I mean, will you just, you know, just enjoy a good fight with whatever time it comes on for a change? And just in the case of Ryan Garcia, uh, Luke Campbell, it's a good fight. It's a good step up for Garcia. If it's on at seven where you live or four where you live, just watch it, enjoy it, and stop complaining for, for a change.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, if the zone can get half a million people, subscribing and watching a fight, massive win. And look, in terms of bang for your buck, like the best bang for your buck uh, fight that DAZN put on in 2019 was Joshua versus Ruiz because they didn't Mm -hmm. have to pay, you know, the exorbitant cost it would have been if it were in the US. Uh, The fight was in the afternoon. I don't know the specific numbers, but it did pretty well because there was a lot of buzz for that fight uh, going Mm -hmm. into it. So as long as you keep putting on fights people care about, boxing fans will find it. Like maybe you don't get as many of the casual fans as you want. Maybe that's a longer process, but boxing fans will find good fights. Like yeah. if you have, you know, you know, they they're gonna know that Campbell Garcia is happening. Like they're gonna know it's happening, mm-hmm. and they'll find it on the schedule, and they'll find a way to watch it. They won't miss it. Like boxing fans, to their credit, man. they I say this all the time. Like you know, basketball as someone that covers basketball. Like I, I've got there are more basketball fans I engage with on a regular basis. But the boxing fans are more passionate. They're more into it. They're, they're committed to the sport. So you know, you're not going to see them miss too many big fights. It, they'll be there for them to watch.
3: Absolutely, Chris. And on that night in particular, December 5th, by the Garcia-Campbell fight starting when it starts, assuming you know hardcore boxing fans, they're going to buy the Errol Spence-Danny Garcia fight, it won't conflict with that at all. Now, mm-hmm. the, the pay-per-view undercard for that fight is... Um, boy... It, let's just say, <laughs> let's just say bad, um, but but the point is, you'll have some time in between. You know, the Garcia Campbell fight will be over by eight o'clock Eastern Time. You'd have some time in between to take a little break, grab some dinner or whatever, and then if you want to watch the undercard fights, which will start at nine Eastern Time, there's no conflict whatsoever. So in this case, you know, it'll, it'll work out perfectly if you're a hardcore fan and you want to watch all the fights. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, I think a win for everybody to not have kind of competing interests. Uh, for these big, uh, major events. All right, speaking of big fights, you are in San Antonio where there is uh, one of the biggest ones, not the biggest one of the weekend, Gervonta Davis. He'll be fighting Leo Santa Cruz at, we think, 130. And before I get into the fight, what are we, what's your gut feeling here, Keith, as we record this? Uh, Is Gervonta making 130? Because I got to tell you, what like what's been fascinating to me about the All Access series that Showtime has been showing, which has been really good as usual, mm-hmm. uh, is always training in that tracksuit, like he is always in that heavy suit, and that generally means, Keith, that you're trying to shave some weight off your body there. That I, you know, I don't I don't recall seeing Floyd too often in the tracksuit. I don't recall seeing Canelo very often in the tracksuit. Golovkin very often in the tracksuit. Uh, it it just made me think that maybe Gervantes. Is having some problems, and Leo Santa Cruz has said like, he doesn't have to make weight necessarily, but you know he's going to pay a steep price if he doesn't make that 130-pound limit.
3: Yeah, Chris. I mean, I don't know that there's been a more intriguing weigh-in recently yeah. than this. I mean, you know, there are people talking about this weigh-in almost as, almost as much as they're talking about the fight. I mean, it, it it is a serious issue for for Gervonta Davis. You know, Leonard Ellerbee said the other day. That he thought it's being overblown. Well, it's not overblown when a guy moves up five pounds and Leonard was right in the heart of that. And I was right there beside him uh, down in Atlanta 10 months ago. It's a, it's a problem. He moved up five pounds and he still was a pound and a quarter overweight when, and then he came back what seemed like three hours later, but he did come back and, and then he was, <laughs> and then he was 134 and a half. And I literally saw it on the scale. There were no shenanigans there. He got on the scale and he was 134 and a half. So he lost almost two full pounds and, and, the time that he was allowed uh, for that lightweight debut, which he had fought at lightweight before, but he was moving up from one thirty for that fight. So, yeah, he'll pay a steep penalty if he's over the weight on uh, Friday for sure. And he's making a lot of money for this fight, but you don't want to give it away for no reason. Now, if Floyd Mayweather is to be believed in promoting fights, he's not. Floyd is not going to come out and say, "Oh yeah, he's one, he's one fifty. This is ridiculous. He's he's not going to make it." Of course, he's going to say that he's he's. Down in weight. I, I, let, it, I believe it was a week ago today when they had that open workout at Floyd's gym in uh, Las Vegas, and, and Mayweather said that Tank was 134 pounds that day. Now, if that's true, um, and he wasn't just, just saying what he had to say, um, you know, to, to protect Davis, um, then he'll be in good shape because he would have had to have lost only four pounds, and you'd almost think that he was too light at that point you know, in terms of cutting weight. But he, look, I'll give Javante Davis this. He's owned his problems making weight. It's his fault. He's gone about it in a way that he shouldn't have. He said that there were too many distractions training in Baltimore, which is where he trained for the Euro Scamboa fight and many other fights. He buckled down. He came to Las Vegas for three months. He trained at Floyd Mayweather's gym. He took Floyd's direction and the, and the direction of his trainer, Calvin Ford, um, and according to them, did all of the things he was asked to do in the right way so that this is not an issue on Friday. Now, maybe he'll get on the scale and it'll be an issue again. I don't know. I mean, there's reason to doubt that he can make weight on the first try because it's happened so many times. But, you know, the the, the guy, Javante Davis said he has learned his lesson and he's not going to go into the biggest fight of his career from a business standpoint. It's his pay-per-view debut and screw it up by being overweight. Now, you would think he would have known that, when he was on the, uh, the Floyd Mayweather-Conor McGregor card, which was one of the biggest two biggest pay-per-views in boxing history, and he was two entire pounds overweight. Now, he wasn't in the main event. He wasn't the star of the show, the A-side of the main event at that point, but it was about as big of a platform as you could be on at that point, point. and he weighed 132 pounds for a 130-pound title fight, didn't bother coming back to the scale to try to make weight, and gave up his IBF junior lightweight title at the scale, as you remember, Chris, you were there too. Mm-hmm. You know. So he's been in this position before and and missed weight. I mean, I, I hope that it, the maturity has helped him realize how big this is for him and that he really can't afford that to happen to him again on Friday.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'll be an interesting moment. Uh, if he makes weight you know he's showing discipline, he's maturing. Uh maybe it's not his last fight at 130 pounds. who knows. Um uh, mm-hmm. but uh, it will tell you a story. It so won't. You know, a 132 on the scale or 131 and a half, that'll tell you something as well. I mean, I think we both agree one way or the other this fight is going to go on. Um you know, Tank and Leo Santa Cruz and look, we know Tank is popular. Like his his ratings speak for themselves. I mean, he is a, a big-time guy and I I've, I've talked to some cable operators recently Keith and People in the, the pay-per-view business, they actually think it might do pretty well. I mean, comparatively mm-hmm. speaking, you know, whether it's 200,000, 250,000, that's a, a real number for, for a fight yeah. like this. Not every fight has to be a million pay-per-views to be considered a success. You know, it's not, everything's not Mayweather. Everything's not Wilder versus uh, Fury. 250 for Gervonta against Leo Santa Cruz would be a big number. My question for you is, what are we going to learn about Gervonta the fighter, in a fight like this. And it's more a question of what you think about what Leo Santa Cruz is. I mean, we were both ringside for Leo's last fight uh, late last year. It was not a good performance. I mean, Leo has owned that as well. He said, there was a lot going on in my life at that time. I didn't train particularly well. It was a bad fight. Do you believe that was a bad fight and Leo was perfectly capable of beating Javante Davis? Or have we seen the best of Leo Santa Cruz, a guy that has been in some wildly entertaining fights but yeah, you know, maybe a little bit shopworn from a couple of fights with Abner Morris, from a couple of fights with Carl Frampton, from some tough fights in his career. What's your position on that?
3: You know, it's a tough question, Chris, just in the sense that you don't know what to make of Leo Santa Cruz at this point. He has been in some hard fights. He's 32 years old. He's fighting a guy who clearly the biggest puncher that he's ever fought, a bigger guy who who is... A, at this point, it, they, the odds just keep getting wider and wider. He's about a 7-to-1 favorite at this point. It was about 4-to-1. And to that's one.
1: usually, Keith, that's usually, doesn't, to your recollection, doesn't it usually go the other way? Like, in, in during fight, well, weeks get, fight weeks, you get weeks. You get kind of, uh, it's almost like you're convinced that the B-side can win sometimes during fight weeks. They get, they get right. sold up a little bit.
3: Right, and in this case, I think a lot of people, the betters anyway, the Sharps in Vegas and, and other places, probably think that this is a, I don't want to say an easy fight for for, uh, Leo Santa Cruz because I tend to think that betters overall know less about boxing than they know about other sports. I've seen evidence of that in handicapping and things. But um, yeah, so I think that's why it's going in the opposite direction because he's, he's viewed as a big favorite. I think the most interesting thing here, Chris, and it relates to what we were speaking about earlier, is how much difficulty and how much does it take out of Gervonta Davis to make 130 pounds? He hasn't had to do it in quite some time. He's 25 years old. He's you know he's not old, obviously, but he's it, it gets harder to make weight as you get older. Um, so how much does it take out of him? And then how much of that is an advantage for Leo Santa Cruz, who's a volume puncher? And to his credit, he called for this fight. Leo Santa Cruz told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, look, I got sick of people telling me that I'm scared to fight this guy and I'm scared to fight that guy and that all I get is tune-up fights and Al babies me and all this other stuff. He got sick of it, and, and Leo Santa Cruz is about the nicest human being you're going to meet, uh, in or out of boxing. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. sweetest people imaginable. And, uh, you know, he got tired of people crapping all over him, basically, so he demanded this fight. But I think it—I think he sees something in Gervonta Davis. Now, he's not going to tell us what that is, obviously, but he sees weaknesses in Davis that he feels that he can exploit. Part of it might be that he thinks that Davis is going to, kill himself to make the weight, and then won't have the energy in the back end of the fight where he can overwhelm him with volume and beat him on points. Leo has supposedly has said that he thinks that he can stop Javante Davis. Javante Davis told me that a couple of weeks ago. I I don't see that happening. But look, he clearly sees something there. He sees vulnerability in Javante Davis that he's going to take advantage of. And I look, whatever you think of the matchup, not you per se, Chris, I mean just people in general, whatever they think of the matchup, Leo Santa Cruz, if nothing else, deserves a lot of credit here for fighting a bigger guy, a devastating puncher who has knocked out all but one opponent he has faced since he turned pro. He deserves a lot of credit for taking the fight. Now, he's being compensated well. I completely understand that. Um, But he could have taken a different challenge at 130 pounds than Javante Davis. So give the guy some credit for that.
1: I agree. I agree. And he was saying that right after uh, his last fight where, you know, no more tune-ups. I want either Gary Russell or Javante Davis, and he's getting Javante Davis in this fight. So I do give him credit for that. One last thing on Davis. Uh, as we record this, it's a little unclear. if Floyd Mayweather's going to be in the corner, like he suggested, yeah. perhaps. Uh, what do you make of that? I mean, is that a good idea for Tank Davis? I mean, Mayweather, again, in these all-access series, he's been a very visible presence during this camp. But, you know, I mean javante has got a trainer. Calvin Ford is his trainer, a good good trainer. Someone's gotten him uh, to this point. I always wonder, I mean, and you've seen this sometimes, I mean, kind of most famously with Chavez Sr., with Chavez Jr., where Chavez is being, whether it's Freddie Roach or somebody else, you've got Chavez Sr. just screaming stuff from, you know, five feet away. Sometimes there can be two differing sets of advice, which isn't always good for for a fighter, especially when they're going up against an opponent uh, the caliber of a Leo Santa Cruz.
3: Yeah, you know, I asked Floyd directly that when they did the virtual press conference a couple of weeks ago, if he was going to work the corner. At that point, he said he wasn't sure and that he was going to speak to Calvin Ford about it and speak to Javante Davis about it. Um, he's been a little coy about it. I don't know if they've actually decided that yet or not. I would think at this point that they have decided it. At the uh, press conference tomorrow, I'm going to ask uh, Floyd Mayweather about it again. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a concrete answer at that point. But I, I agree with what you're saying, Chris. You don't want, because Floyd is such a, an enormous figure and such a big personality and clearly knows you know, more about boxing than you possibly could know, really. So he's going to have his opinions, strong opinions during the fight. And you just don't want during the fight for there to be, I don't want to say a power struggle, but you just don't want the trainers talking over each other or... You know, trying to get Davis's attention when you obviously have such a short window to get your point across to the fighter particularly if the fight is not going as well as they had hoped at a certain point you really need to get those instructions to him succinctly and clearly and you don't need any confusion in the corner and I'll say this Chris I, you know I was at the davis Gamboa fight last year right Floyd mayweather literally was sitting right in front of my co- my co-worker Jake Donovan and I were sitting in the front row there uh, media row Floyd Mayweather was sitting directly in front of us, and I think Leonard Ellerbee was to his left. He just kept standing up and standing up and standing up. Where we kind of we didn't know what else to do except to ask Floyd Mayweather, please sit down, because we couldn't see the fight. So he he realized that you know that he was blocking the view and stuff like that. But what, my point was, um, he was yelling instructions the entire fight, like he was screaming at Gervonta Davis the almost the entire fight. So he was about. If I had to guess, I would say he was maybe like seven or eight feet from Gervonta's corner, but he might as well have been in his corner because he did nothing but shout instructions. And you, you actually see Floyd Mayweather do that when all of his prospects are fighting, when you see him on show box or, or, you know, on showtime or whatever network the fight is on, you'll see him screaming at instructions the whole time. So he's going to have loud opinions on, on Saturday night, whether he works the corner or not. But, um but we don't know. I mean, the short answer is we don't know yet. And, um, I assume that they do know that they just haven't noticed.
1: Uh, well, look, I love a more engaged Floyd Mayweather with boxing. Like it's good for boxing to have one of its all-time biggest stars more involved. That it's clear Mayweather is more involved with Gervonta than any other fighter that he works with. Like it's yeah. there's clearly a connection there between those two. I I just I do wonder, you know in a fight of this caliber where Leo's going to be throwing a bunch of punches. I'm not so sure you want any... I don't think you want any space between the instructions of a Calvin Ford and uh, and a Floyd Mayweather. All right, let's talk about uh, the other fight on Saturday. This one in the afternoon over in the UK. And that's Alexander Usyk making his second fight at heavyweight. And this is a much stiffer test than the one we saw in Chicago where he took on uh, Chaz Witherspoon. This is Derek Chisora. And Derek Chisora, his record's not flawless by any stretch. He got nine losses... On his resume, but he has fought all the best in the heavyweight division. Doesn't beat them, but he fights them. He makes good fights, and he is a heavyweight in the truest sense of the word and that he comes at you, he throws bombs at you. This, Keith, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this fight because while I am i think Alexander Usyk is the real deal at heavyweight, Derek Chisora is going to show us if he's the real deal at heavyweight. Derek Chisora mm-hmm. is not going to give Usyk an inch to breathe, and he is going to be throwing some shots that Usyk has never faced in his professional career. What do you think of this matchup?
3: Yeah, I mean, he he's about as dangerous of a nine-loss fighter as you <laughs> possibly could be for Usyk at this point um, because, you know, while it's a high-profile fight in the UK and it's, you know, it's a, it's a pay-per-view fight over there and everything, um, he's not he, he's not even Dillian White, Derek Chasore. He's the guy who lost to Dillian White twice, right? I mean, he's not... He, he, he's not... The, the elite heavyweight from Great Britain. He's the guy who loses to everybody when they, not, I, I'm not discrediting Derek Chisora because he's a tough SOB and he always comes to fight and he was beating white in their rematch sure it was a pretty damn close fight before he got knocked out. But mm-hmm. um, he's a tough guy. He's going to, he's going to test Usyk like he hasn't been tested in quite some time. You know, he, he obviously cleaned out the cruiserweight division in the uh, world boxing super series tournament, but um, this is a different deal, man. You know, uh, Chisora can punch, Uh, he's he's a, he's got a good chin. Um, I don't think that Usyk is now he's been knocked out of course too, but I don't think Usyk is a huge puncher at heavyweight by any stretch. So how does he deal with Derek Chisora's pressure throughout the fight? Um, you know, physically and mentally, because Chisora is not going to stop coming. And Chisora also has to realize that he's look, he's lost to a who's who list of fighters, right? But he's not just going to keep getting opportunities like this. If you keep losing the fight. So he, his back is again. he's 36 years old, I believe. You know, he's, his back is against the wall in terms of he needs to win this one. And if he does, look at the position he would be in. Then he would be fighting Joshua, or he has repeatedly said that Tyson Fury has told him he'll fight him again um, in their private conversations. And he would actually be in position to make either of those fights happen if he wins this fight. So, you know, he, he's in a great position here, and I'm sure he realizes that. Um, Usyk hasn't fought in... I guess it's uh it's about a year, a little over a year, a year and two weeks or so, right, since he fought in Chicago. Um, and, and Chaz Witherspoon was, I believe, he was like 38 when they fought, so even older than Chisora. Um, took the fight on short notice, and and didn't embarrass himself. I didn't think, you know, I mean, he lost. He clearly lost. He ran out of gas and everything. But you know, I expected Usyk to to have an easier time with Chaz Witherspoon than he did, and I'm not saying he struggled but I expected it to be easier for him. So this is going to be an interesting fight. Like you said, it's it's certainly something that'll give us a real accurate indication of where Usyk is as a head.
1: Yeah. I I do think Usyk carried Witherspoon a little bit. I think that that was coming off the injury. Right. And I think he wanted to get some rounds in, in a fight like that. So I I think he, he carried, and there were a couple, I remember just being there noticing a couple of opportunities Mm -hmm. that Usyk let him off the hook. Uh, So I think that, that was part of it against Witherspoon. What, what I love about Chisora, he reminds me a lot of, like, Glenn Johnson, right? Like, Glenn Johnson just kept losing but kept rebuilding himself and then getting himself back into, into contention for big fights. That's what Chisora does. He'll lose three in a row like he did in the early uh, 2010s. He'll lose two out of three or two out of four or three out of five. He'll just keep rebuilding himself against credible opponents, whether it was Arthur Spilka two fights ago, David Price. A fight to go. And he keeps putting himself in this position. And I talked to Chisora this week and, you know, he he makes no bones about it. He's like, I'm not going to outbox this guy. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, I'm just going to go out there and make sure every punch I hit him with, he feels. So if you're Usyk, and I'm with you, I'm not necessarily confident Usyk can stop Chisora. I know he's been stopped before. But I don't think Usyk has that Dillian White type of hook or any kind of real power that will put Mm -hmm. uh, enough to put Chisora down anyway. You know, I better be in great shape, you know, because you're going to have to move a lot in that fight and and keep pot-shotting Tesoro. You'll probably... you have. I think the most likely outcome, Keith, is like 9-3, 10-2, Usyk. I think he can blow him out on the scorecards. But if he <laughs> runs out of gas in those later rounds, Tesoro will get you. He will find yeah. you, and he will hit you with some shots. So, like, it's one of those fights where I, I'll still be invested in it if... We're into those later rounds because I, I, I'll need to see if Usa can keep that movement up, if he does move, uh, in the later stage of the fight.
3: Yeah, and, and I think the Glenn Johnson analogy is a good one, Chris, in the sense that Glenn Johnson had obviously lost a lot of fights. I don't know that his resume was—it it was damn good before he fought Antonio Tarver, but I don't know that it was quite as deep as Chisora's is at heavyweight. Mm-hmm. But But it's a good analogy in the sense that he kept fighting guys, kept fighting guys, kept fighting guys, and he lost a fair amount of fights until he fought Tarver and beat him you know, and then it changed his whole life, you know, I mean, it changed his whole career. So, um, you know, it, th- that's clearly what could happen for Derek Chisora here. This would be his breakthrough, you know, beating a guy who was the undisputed cruiserweight champion, a guy who, uh, you know, people are saying is, is going to be a heavyweight champion is in position to fight Anthony Joshua, um, you know, a highly decorated amateur fighter. I mean, it, this would be a, a you know, the, the crowning moment of Derek Chisora's career if he wins this fight. And yeah, I think, it, you know, there are some, some accurate comparisons to make to Glenn Johnson. So uh, the road warriors, as they used to call him. So um, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be fun because is, is he going to be able to take Chisora's pressure? That, that's what it ultimately comes down to.
1: And I mean, if he can pull off the upset, you know, it will officially be the era of British heavyweight boxing, you know, because then you'd have maybe a round Robin huh. of you know, Joshua <laughs> yeah. Fury, Chisora, because Chisora also immensely popular. Like, you know, what was it? The, Whose fight was he on the undercard of? Josh, uh, Josh Taylor, Josh Warren. Who was one of the, somebody who was on the, uh, it was, no, the pro gray fight, pro gray Josh Taylor. Right. right he right, sat right. at the press conference and he's like, why am I co-headlining this? You're just here for my tickets. Like I'm selling the tickets <laughs> for this he's, fight. So
3: it, he's, he's not shy about saying uh, obnoxious, <laughs> offensive things, even to the promoter of the fight during uh press conferences.
1: I got to tell you too. A perfect. I, case. I, I, I talked to him about this in our conversation, but like I love the gimmick he and just he and Usyk have,
3: you know, where it's uh,
1: Derek, I'm coming for you. I can't get enough of that. Like the more of those memes I see, uh, well, it's, the it's it's
3: it's better than I feel. I really feel, I guess, you yeah, know? It's, uh, <laughs> much you know. better, much better, much better.
1: All right, let me finish with uh the fight happening on Friday, and that's uh, also on DAZN. You've got Jaime Munguia coming back for his second fight at middleweight. This time, taking on. Turiano Johnson, um, Key, you know, like on paper, this looks like, you know, a fight Munguia should win comfortably, but I don't know about you. I'm just not sold on Munguia yet. I I just, he was a good 154, but I, I almost feel like his resume doesn't reflect the reality of who he is. Like he won a world title. He had some defenses, but he never really fought a top 154 pounder, maybe Liam Smith was the closest thing to a top 154 pounder on that resume. And now he moves up to middleweight and look, he had some problems with Spike O'Sullivan in that fight. Spike O'Sullivan is a journeyman. Turiano Johnson, I guess you'd probably qualify him as a journeyman as well, but his losses have come against the best. He lost, you know, to Derevon That's all fair and square, but he was beating Curtis Stevens before Stevens landed that bomb that knocked him out. I think it was the 10th round of that Mm -hmm. fight. I look at Johnson as a live dog in this one. Uh, I mean, I, it's mostly, like, I, I, Johnson kind of is what he is when he goes up against the elite. I don't think he beats them. I'm just not convinced that Munguia is the elite yet. He's another guy that's really popular and, you know, has kind of that that appeal to him. Eric Morales in his corner. Mm-hmm. But I'm just not, I'm not sold yet on Jaime Munguia. How do you see this one?
3: Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. Uh, you know, he beat, now look, we have to give Saddam Ali credit for what he did against Miguel Cotto. But he yep. beat he basically Munguia and he blew him out I mean, he beat him up and he blew him out, but he basically beat a welterweight who happened to knock off Miguel Cotto. And I hate this, you know, that's not Munguia's fault. You fight who's in front of you and you beat who you beat to get where you go. But, um, but yeah, so w- was that like a, a great win? No, I, because he w- you know, it was Saddam Ali and his people will tell you that he, he was not a 54 pounder. He just took it for the opportunity to fight Cotto at the garden and exploited it perfectly. Right. So yeah, so I see what you're saying there, but I'll say I, I think Tor- Chris, I got to disagree with you in one sense. I think Toriano Johnson is better than a journeyman. Uh, I think he's a talented guy, and he has you know he lost it clearly lost the Derevianchenko fight. Um, Derevianchenko is an elite middleweight now. He's he's had his three cracks at the title and lost all three times, but he's an elite middleweight for sure. So there's no shame in him losing to him. Curtis Stevens is a monstrous puncher, of, puncher of course, but he was winning that fight as you said, mm-hmm. Toriano Johnson was clearly ahead in that fight. So. um And he's like Chisora in the sense that this is his last chance. I mean, if he goes and beats Munguia, it changes his whole career, revitalizes his career at this point, which at, you know, at at some point he might've thought himself was even over. Uh, So it's a great opportunity for him. So you can never discount what that does for a guy in terms of motivation and maybe feeling like he's overlooked. I I don't know if Munguia is overlooking him or not, but um, so, yeah, I think it's a dangerous fight in that, in that sense. Plus guys are coming off long layoffs and you don't know what kind of training and sparring they're getting and, they're all saying the right things that they're getting the right sparring and the right training and everything in the pandemic, but who knows, you know, especially in Mexico. I don't know. I have no idea what Munguia's training was like. So, um, yeah, so, so I think it's an interesting fight, you know, it's definitely, I, we're not, we're not going to get the same kind of action that we got last Friday night on DAZN. I can tell you that much, but cause that was a, <laughs> oof, that was a hell of a fight. You know, it wasn't the fight of the year because of what happened with Baranchik and, uh, and Zapeda, but um, but, it, but it was a hell of a fight, though. It was a hell of a fight, the uh, Quadros estrada rematch.
1: Yeah, I, uh, to an earlier point that we were making, uh, I don't think boxing fans will not know when Estrada-Chocolatito 2 happens. I think they'll be pretty aware of when, yeah. you know, no matter what network that airs on, what time it airs at, uh, that's yeah. a fight that can't miss in the first quarter of the year. Just to finish on McGee, I mean, do you uh, do you see, like, high-level middleweight potential there again he's got the popularity like he draws some fans he does good ratings from what i'm told uh but i i, I don't i don't know what i see it i thought morales was a curious <laughs> choice to be his trainer i mean you'd think munguia needs more of a defensive-minded guy to kind of teach him that aspect of boxing he went in and signed up with a great fighter an elite guy but uh, not someone that was necessarily known for you know, traditional defense in Eric Morales. So what, what, okay. do, you, what do you see in McGee in the next? Do, do you see him on a path to, to face a Golofkin in 2021? Maybe Canelo down the line or, you know, Charlo, Andre, the other top 160s? Yeah,
3: I, I just think he gets hit too much, Chris. I, I don't, you know, he, he's, he has the size to fight at middleweight, of course, but um, he just gets hit too much. And I know they're trying to improve his defense and they're trying to get him to move his head more, but I just haven't seen enough of it where I believe that he's doing it. And if he gets in there with a puncher, like pick any of the top middleweights, even Golovkin at this age, yeah, um, you know, certainly Charlo or someone like that. He's not going to be able to withstand that. There's a difference between taking punches from, you know, Saddam Ali and, and, you know, Liam Smith is a good fighter and, you know, no problem with Liam Smith, but guys like that. Spike O'Sullivan clipped him a few times. Punches. Yeah. Sp- Spike O'Sullivan actually can punch a little bit too. Yeah. So, you know, so, um, yeah, I just don't defensively. I just don't see him being able to beat elite fighters in the middleweight division. I think, you know, they're grooming him to supposedly to find out who knows what's going on with Canelo himself at this point, but you know, they wanted to make that fight. They, they still think that's a fight that they could make in the future. I, I wouldn't want to see that. I mean, Canelo would, would destroy Jaime Mungia unless somehow Canelo started to get old because he's, even though he's only 30 years old, you know, he's had a lot of fights and he's, he's been a pro for a decade and a half. I mean, you know, it's, he might get older at a younger age than than guys that are generally thirty-one, thirty-two. So unless you see some decline in Canelo, I don't want to see Canelo fight Jaime Munguia. He'll I mean, that that's not even worth putting together at this point, I don't think. So oh, no,
1: it's it's honestly it's like the it's it's the gimmicky fight that you're you're sort of looking for. Like if you can get Mungia, you know, a win over Torriano Johnson, maybe three wins next year over Torriano Johnson and Spike O'Sullivan like opponents. You and I as boxing, you know, people that know the industry, know the fighters know that, you know, Munguia has no chance against Canelo. But I mean, would it surprise you at all in like May 2022 if you do 100,000 fans in Mexico City and the thing does a monster rating on DAZN or any other network that it's on? Right. Like,
3: uh, absolutely. I just meant from a stylistic standpoint, Chris, sure. you're absolutely right. If it, If it makes business, it makes sense, right? So we didn't want to see Canelo necessarily fight Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. We knew what was going to wind up happening. He he dominated him, but a lot of people watched that fight. A lot of people bought that fight. So even with all Chavez had been through at that point in his career and his life and how many times he had failed promoters and trainers and managers and everything, right. People still bought it because, because you can't, you can't underestimate how much Mexican people love boxing. I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they really do. And Canelo is, you know, for them, this generation, and I'm not saying he's Chavez in their minds because I don't know that anyone ever could be, but he, he's this generation's Chavez for them. He's a wildly popular Mexican fighter. You have the son of, of Chavez, whatever happened to him in the ring, and it made magic in terms of the business, even with Chavez being a huge underdog and losing like most people expected that he would lose. So you're right. You know, if Munguia is as popular as, as we've been led to believe in Mexico, I, I could completely see them making the fight. I just don't think from a competitive standpoint that it's something that they should make.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It'll be uh probably a ways off, but
3: uh, it'll be interesting if you get there in 2022 and what let, looks let, like. it looks let, like. Let's get Canelo in the ring against anyone at this point. I know, at well, I'm, this point. Not gonna I'm not going to get picky about who it is. You know, let's...
1: we're fast. I mean, not really a topic we, we had on the, on the rundown here. Cause neither one of us really has any idea what Canelo's going to do yeah. next. But yeah, I mean, as far as I know, Keith, they're still hoping not hoping might be too strong, but like December 19th, maybe like just keeping that date kind of open, but I don't see it either. I think we're, yeah. we're probably, we're probably past, but even if he, even if the stuff can be reconciled, like what, who's left out there to fight like Billy Joe Saunders yeah. has a date now, I guess you could theoretically make Callum Smith, but that feels a little weird to do at that point on the calendar. I just, I mean, it, you'd have to like look at a Rocky fielding type just to get him in the ring and get him, get him out if he really wants to get out.
3: Right, but but that's why they're in this mess because they don't want him fighting the Rocky Fielding type. So that's yeah. why we are where we are, as, as you well know, Chris. But and we've um, yeah. so who knows? I, I think it all depends on when this link legal entanglement is is finished. You know, when they're out of this whole thing, how it all ends, because that'll determine when he fights. I th- he's going to fight. I, I don't think he's going to fight anytime this year. I think he would fight in twenty twenty one. But how late in twenty twenty one? Because if he were to fight, it would be a lot really long layoff for him but if just say he were to fight in april or something like that he still could fight billy joe billy joe saunders is fighting december 4th i believe so he could take a couple of months off and still fight canelo which is the fight that they were hoping that that was supposed to happen may 2nd uh he could clearly fight callum smith who does not have a fight scheduled so the crazy thing is is if this all comes full circle they'll be in the exact same position they were in before is he going to fight callum smith or Billy Joe Saunders how much money are you going to pay Billy Joe Saunders or Callum Sa- I mean it's like a it's kind of silly that that they, you know that they would get back to that same spot but I could see that happening with boxing being boxing
1: and then you know of course we'll have Golovkin beat Zerametta and then Jonathan Banks will say he needs one more fight before Canelo and then and <laughs> right. we're, we're we're really on the senior yeah. circuit in 2022 exactly. uh, plus- Can-
3: Canelo Golovkin 3 will happen when Golovkin's 42
1: that's just that's not something anybody wants to see uh keith uh enjoy the fights this weekend great weekend for boxing that's for sure uh enjoy san antonio man the river walk is nice if you they let you out i don't know if they're Uh, we're
3: not we're not we're not allowed out until until sunday i guess before but i got a flight on sunday night so if i can check out the river walk on sunday i'm definitely going to do that it is beautiful you can can see it out the window i can't that's worth
1: i I can't confirm I i can't confirm or deny that uh In my younger days covering the Spurs championship years, I fell into the Riverwalk. I cannot confirm or deny.
3: Did did Woj drag you out?
1: Yeah, (laughs) Woj would let me drown if that were the case. If he saw me, he would let me drown. Uh, Keith, enjoy it, man. Thanks for joining me.
3: My pleasure, Chris. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Coming up next, heavyweight contender Derek Chisora.
0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like ah, being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
1: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now I'm supposed to talk here about Yes. All right, Derek Chisora is here, heavyweight contender. You will see him on Saturday against Alexander Usik, uh, heavyweight battle over in the UK. You can watch that in the US live on the zone. And, and Derek, I've I've covered a bunch of your fights. Uh going back to Vitali Klitschko, David Hay, a bunch of them ringside. I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen you like an opponent like this. I I is that fair? Have you ever like Genuinely seem like you liked an opponent like this?
4: Listen, first of all, what's there not to like about this guy? Gold medalist, <laughs> knows how to dance. Uh good guy. Um, very simple, outgoing. He's just a funny character. There's nothing there. It's he's, he's a cool guy. I like him. He's cool. I'm a big fan of his, I was Alexander Yusik. When i watch watching him win the Muhammad Ali trophy, I was watching that in my house. I was like, this guy's amazing. The way he boxes, the way he just keeps coming forward, you know. So, I'm a big fan of him. So, I can't go there and start trying to slash talking him, you know, talking trash to him. It's difficult for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, do you feel like you train better? Do you feel like you fight better when there is kind of a negativity with your opponent, or does it not matter?
4: I'm happy right now. I'm in a good place. I'm, um focus um my training camp has gone very well i didn't injure myself everything was amazing i was lifting heavier i was running longer um my body my cardio is great my sparring was great everything just went amazingly so there was nothing else for me to to do
1: it's 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 funny like this fight has taken on it's getting known in the u.s in large part because of some of the sound bites that you guys have, the Derek and the and the Alexander well, stuff. I mean, we, it's taken on a life of its own, man.
4: Yeah, you know what? I think I think I think I think with this with what's happening right now in the whole world, you know, people want to forget for a split second and come out with some jokes because right now life is just too hard for everybody. I mean, even in the states, in in London, in Africa. So I think for. For us to come up, with, because he came up with it first, and we just run with a catch catchphrase first, you know. So we're like, you know, let's run it. So this is this is this is the catchphrase for everybody, because he keeps saying hello, and hello. So we're like, you know, so we run with that. And that was a good part of him coming up with that, you know. And it was run with it, but we want to run it in a good way, so people get to talk about it, not not to dislike it. We want people to talk about it, and when they talk about it, it brings laughter to them to them with their friends or family or anything like that. So that's the whole point.
1: It, it definitely does that. Th- this, was, this is a pretty big fight, and you've always taken on the top guys in the heavyweight division. How tough, though, a decision was it for you to take this fight under the circumstances that we have now, behind closed doors, without fans, without the revenue from fans? You're a big ticket seller in the UK. How, what was that decision like?
4: Listen, um, if you get to fight... This year or next year, we thank God for that because most fighters are not fighting this year. So uh, we are just thanking God that we are fighting. If you get to do anything you enjoy this year, thank God for that because right now, some places things are a standstill. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so it was an easy decision to, to take yeah, the fight? No,
4: It was no. easy, very easy. Mm-hmm.
1: You um, After you beat David Price, you said something to him in the ring. Basically, you know, don't retire. Retirement's for suckers at that point. You've had a kind of career, Derek, where, you know, you've won some, you've lost some, you keep coming back every single time. Uh, where does that mindset come from? I mean, what, what drives you, even after setbacks, to keep coming back?
4: Uh, I think what drives me most is that, you know, belief. You know my faith. You know if I'm not if I'm not ready for the golden gates, if I think I'm ready for them, the man upstairs takes them away from me, and I keep marching. You know, Moses never made his promised land because he kept on doubting the man upstairs. I and he never made it. So for me, I like to just carry on on my path without, without. If I lose. Did I give a good fight? Yes, great fight. Okay, I go back and rest and ask what's what's next. You know, that's that's it. You know, because yes, in boxing there's winners and there's losers. You know, don't mean if you don't win the World Series for the next ten years, you should just shut down the whole team down because you haven't won it. You carry on because there's people like the way you 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 play ball or you play football and stuff like that. You know. You know, there's teams in, in like in like what you call in London, we call it soccer. There's teams never won the Premier League before. But they're still there, still playing. And then people are still getting people still getting paid. You know. So for me I don't look at it like I've lost so many fights, I should retire. No. I'll retire when it's time for me to retire, not when the journalists are telling me I should retire. If I retire, what are you gonna write about? Nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I love the sport right now, so I can't be I can't be retiring right now. How
1: much, Derek, does winning that heavyweight championship motivate you? Does how much is that is that still the thing that drives you the most?
4: Yes. Uh man, play this one, man. Fight for the world title fight, it's amazing. Great. I'm happy to fight for that. But I like to fight for money. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody likes to pop titles, but, you know, I don't. You keep your titles, man. Show me where the money is. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. After all the money, got money, and you, listen, what would you ever have? All the bells in the world, but no dollars? Nah.
1: I want the money. I'd want the money.
4: Exactly.
1: (laughs) Take Taking on a guy... Like Usyk, I mean, you've had experience facing guys coming up from cruiserweight. You fought David Hay, of course. You fought smaller guys in your career as well. I mean, how how different is the prep for a guy that is you know more skill than he is raw power?
4: Good question. The guy's skillful, man. I could not find any southpaws who box like him but we changed the game plan. We said we're going to be fitter and stronger so when we hit him, he stays here. Mm. You know, that was our job. That's, that was our target. We're not going to match him for skills because I can't box. man. I got the skills. Man, I ain't got the skills.
1: So he's, I, so finding someone to like replicate him in training, that was tough?
4: Very hard. Very hard. It was tough. We got to a point that we had to offer a thousand bucks for anybody, or a thousand or two thousand for anybody who can come to Southport, no ma'am, and nobody, mm-hmm. people did come, but nobody took the money.
1: <laughs> Even with that kind of offer, nobody took it.
4: People came, but no, all got Vietnam. Yeah,
1: I was in Chicago, Derek, when Usyk made his pro his heavyweight debut. It was fine, you know. Chaz Witherspoon is certainly not on your level. Uh, You know, it looked like Usyk at times was trying to get some rounds in. What what did you think of his fight against Witherspoon?
4: He was trying to get rounds in. He didn't want to push his. uh, He didn't want to push his uh, his goal. He was trying to get his rounds in. um, Just trying to make it like he come boxing heavyweight. And people were like, "Oh, that was a crappy fight in heavyweight." But really, that's all bamboozle. It shows you something else, and it shows you something else. Um, we're not looking at how far we will check with this We're looking at the fight, me and him. Let's see what happens. Mm.
1: Mm. Do you do you think he's aware of like what it feels like to get hit by someone like you? The power that that the, the real difference between cruiserweight and
4: heavyweight. No, I don't think he's aware of that yet. I don't think so. Mm. I think he's just uh, he's just, he's not aware for that. I can't answer that. He's not aware yet. Mm.
1: Last thing I'll ask you, Derek, is that you know we said you know you want to win that world heavyweight championship. Usyk, theoretically, you know the WBO is supposed to give him that shot. Do you believe it's your shot if you beat Alexander Usyk?
4: I think David has been on the phone with the WBO right now and been talking to them and stuff like that. But you know, for me right now, I am just concentrating on fighting on Saturday to get this fight rolling.
1: It it still is weird to me, Derek, to see you and David Hay working so closely together after covering your fight back in 2012. I'm still surprised you guys are sticking this
4: this close. Sometimes things happen, you just have to look at it and then just meet up with your enemy, your enemy slash enemy. And just make up because life is Mm -hmm. too short to hold grudges, you know. Mm -hmm. This is too short. Sure. You see your enemy make up, talk to them. Hey, what's happening? How are you? You never know what might happen. You know, and then uh, it just happened, me and David. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, no
1: uh, no need to make up with you and Usyk. Still, uh, still good, a good friendly rivalry between you two. Uh, Derek, good luck on Saturday, man. It's going to be one of the better fights, I think, in the second half of this year. Thanks for joining me here on the show. Thank you, sir. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week.